goblins and ghouls, and welcome to another episode of My Haunted Life Podcast with me, your host, Angela Hartshorn. I hope everyone is doing good out there. I know it's been very cold and awful for a lot of people right now. I hope you are all safe and warm listening to this. For my guest on today's show, Bella, right before recording... Uh, She had her heat go out in her home, and she had to do a mad dash to her family's house with a baby hedgehog in tow. So, yeah. I will tell you this, because I have a feeling it might amuse you. I've been in a bit of a brain fog trying to organize a fashion show for the Denver Vampire Ball virtual edition this year. And when our landlord texted us to remind us to let the faucets drip and open our cabinets, I did what I was told. I went around and made sure all the faucets were dripping and opened the cabinets. When my husband got up later, he noticed that all the cabinets were open, except the ones for under the sink where the actual pipes are. My kitchen looked like a poltergeist went through for apparently no reason, But nothing happened. So, you know, we weren't too bad. Anyway, on today's podcast, I have the absolutely wonderful Bella Brujita, Denver Paranormal Extraordinaire, talking about the Molly Brown House, where she was a tour guide and ran paranormal events for many years. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea. Make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. The modern history of Colorado and its development has much to do with our natural resources. Mining is what made people legends in the 1800s. It could cause people to lose everything overnight or become richer than their wildest dreams. This is what sets the scene for the Colorado icon, the unsinkable Molly Brown. Margaret, because that was her actual name. Margaret's husband, JJ, worked at a at the Little Johnny Mine. JJ was working as a foreman for the Ibex Mining Company and came up with an idea to use timber and bales of hay to prevent cave-ins. In appreciation, he was awarded 12,500 shares of stock and a seat on the board, which was about 12.5% of the company. When the Little Johnny Mine opened in 1883, everyone of course had high hopes, but I don't think they could have even imagined the sheer amount of high-grade copper and gold that was eventually found there. The grade of gold was so pure and the vein was so wide it was heralded as the world's richest gold strike. By October 29, 1893, the Little Johnny Mine was shipping 135 tons of gold per day. 
So I had to look it up. Today, a ton is worth, one ton is worth 57,045,760. A ton. And they're getting 135 out. I didn't do the math for that. That was just too much. Uh, so they're suddenly millionaires. Remember that scene in Titanic when they're talking about old money versus new money? That's what they're talking about. Of course, Margaret got the unsinkable name due to her time on the Titanic. One of my favorite stories about Molly Brown was after the sinking of the Titanic, she was able to convince the crew in charge of her lifeboat to go back to look for survivors. When protocol basically was to get the hell away. I completely forgot to ask today's guest, Bella Brujita, a longtime tour guide at the Molly Brown House, if this was a true story. But considering how phenomenal this woman was, I bet it was. After a small break and word from our sponsors, I'll be back with Bella to hear all about her experiences at the Molly Brown House. everyone today i am on with bella brujita Bru did i say it right i said it right okay Aha! okay good uh bella has been obsessed with the paranormal and the occult from a young age at age 13 she was one of the youngest tour guides at the molly brown house museum where she worked on and off until 2020 in her 20s, she was a Denver haunted tour guide for Denver history tours. At the Molly Brown House, she specialized in the museum's spooky 1340 after-hour events. By the end of April, Bella will be launching her own podcast called The Haunted Insider. How are you, Bella? Are you staying warm today? I am now that I have relocated from my cold apartment. Very oh. warm and happy. Ah, <laughs> uh, the joys of winter. I yeah. swear. So, first off, tell us about the podcast. I want to hear about this new podcast coming out. Because me, I love haunted podcast, obviously. So, <laughs> I want more. Um, going to kind of dive into, um, I've collected a lot of ghost stories over the years. Um, currently I'm working at a fake haunted house. I've worked at a real haunted house because the 13th floor is, um, Denver. I think it's, yeah, Denver's biggest haunted house and, um, year round it's an ax throwing facility. So I'm just getting <laughs> more and more stories that, um, it's going to be accumulation of my stories as well as 
people that I interview, friends, it's going to predominantly focus on ghosts, but I also love my cryptids. Yes. And um, I do want some intergalactic stories as well. So um, they're all going to be true stories. I will have a lot of history anecdotes in there because you got to use your history nerdism Mm -hmm. for something. So yeah, it's going to be really fun, true, and hopefully terrifying tales. (laughs) I'm so excited because obviously we're going to be friends and do (laughs) podcast stuff together. I'm because same, I can't wait to get into more cryptids. I try to bring them up oddly enough. And it's so it's so weird how uh, a lot of the alien stuff is kind of overlapping a lot of the haunting mm-hmm. stuff anymore. Or the Mothman stuff. It's crazy. Oh, my God. Like, I had uh, Corey Heinzen on, who owns The Conjuring House now. I loved that episode. It was very good. But it's like, where are the alien- aliens? Really? Yeah, that kind of blew my mind and terrified. I'm scared of aliens because... Yes. With ghosts, with demons, I kind of have an idea as to what to do with an encounter, as opposed to aliens, where I feel like a sitting duck. Like, yes! there's nothing you can do. I, I cannot... It, alien stuff before bed, especially, like, listening to any of the fourth encounter, um, close encounters of the fourth kind, there we go, uh, kind of encounters, that sort of thing, I cannot do. I, I will be up having nightmares. It's mm-hmm. Oh, no. No. Fascinated during the day. At night, no. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm, okay, I'm, yeah. It, so one thing, if anybody gets onto, like, the Patreon page to watch the video of us, you're going to find out that we keep finding out more and more stuff that we have in common. It's and it, interesting. <laughs> it's getting a little weird. <laughs> Not going to lie. Apparently we're also the same height. Which amuses me. So, um, going back to why we're here, because we could totally randomly talk about anything, I think. Um, let's talk about the Molly Brown House. So, for anyone who doesn't know, who is Molly Brown? Very good question. So, Molly Brown is most famously known for surviving the Titanic. Um, but the biggest thing I want people to take away is her name was never Molly. She <laughs> never once referred to Molly. And that was actually created by Hollywood when they came out with the musical, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, because it's a lot easier to rhyme Molly Jolly Holly, as opposed to Maggie or Margaret, which is really who she was referred by. So she is Margaret Brown, but we still call her Molly Brown at the museum because that's where the famous. <laughs> oh, anyway. yeah otherwise and yeah is that um oh my god the actress's name in that debbie reynolds thank you um, yes yeah <laughs> she plays a really fun kind of rowdy character um kathy bates plays her in the titanic yes. movie of jack and rose and i think that's a really good portrayal of her she was born of irish immigrants um and her father was rumored to have helped with the Underground Railroad. Oh. And um, so she was very socially aware and social and a social activist, which is cool. She also worked really hard with the women's suffrage movement. And she drove an ambulance in World War One for the Red Cross. Oh, my God. Yeah, there was nothing this woman couldn't do. And. Um, it's just like a blink of an eye is the Titanic in her life. Like she's done 
so much it's hard to pin. So I think everyone should go check out her house just because it's beautiful architecture, but also you end up falling in love with Margaret and what she did. She even loved the spooky stuff like you and I did. She would host parties where she had mediums and spiritualists there. Really? I mean, that that was so in vogue at that time. So that it would... was because spiritualism was raging. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah. I love it. Okay, so... um. Is she from here? I, I don't... She's not from yeah. Colorado. No, she was born in Hannibal, Missouri. Okay. And then her brother, Daniel, went out to Leadville to start working in silver mining. And he wanted her to come out. And she'd been working in a tobacco factory and said, heck yeah, I'll come out for an adventure. <laughs> her parents did something very unusual back then. And they made sure that all of their children had up to... a. Um, an eighth grade education, which was huge for Irish immigrants. Yeah. Huge for ladies. And so her parents really did a lot for her. And she always wanted to take care of them later on in life, which is what she did. Oh, and then uh, where did she make her money? Because she was very well off. (laughs) She was, um, but it didn't start out that way. So when she went out to... uh, help her brother Daniel up in Leadville, Colorado with his children, she met Mr. James Joseph Brown at a church picnic, and he was a mine overseer. Pretty average Joe. He had a good job, and he was doing pretty well for himself, and they got married, but due to his mining engineering, they were able to find one of the largest veins of gold to date in Colorado history. Oh. And so, as a thank you, the Ibex Mining Company made him, like, head honcho. He was third in line. And so the family worked really hard and kind of because of the silver crash in 1893, finding that gold vein just made their wealth skyrocket. And so they went from a middle class family to pretty wealthy overnight. Wow. Because, I mean, she she was with him forever. They Well, she loved him forever. (laughs) Yes, that's what I mean. Thank you. Um, and they did, they never got an actual divorce because they were very devout Irish Catholics, but they did separate in 19, oh no, I'm getting rusty. I want to say 1908-ish. I'm like, what? What am I thinking? Because obviously I'm very wrong. <laughs> well, in the musical, the Molly Brown, <laughs> Molly Brown, they always come back, but that musical is about 2% accurate. Yes. So. <laughs> I remember that. And that's what's so funny because one of my mom's favorite uh podcast hi mom if you actually ever listen but um i know better (laughs) i'm like i've done this research Uh. and i hadn't seen the musical till i was about 22 years old Mm. um, working in the museum from 13 onward i was kind of horrified like it was adorable to see debbie reynolds who's lovely in her own but the depiction of margaret was just horrific in a way and they made her kind of a bumpkin and my biggest part was they made her illiterate and knowing what her parents went through to make sure that she was educated was like oh why did they do that that makes me so happy that we're Mm -hmm. telling that the movie was not accurate i have to make my mother listen to this podcast now um no i love it so um when did they acquire the what will be become the Molly Brown house? 
So they moved from Leadville in 1894 okay. to 1340 Pennsylvania and Denver, Colorado. And they were not the first owners of the house. It was built in 1889 by William Lang, who's my favorite Denver architect. There's some rumor that he was a secret pagan. Yeah. And you look inside his buildings, he has hidden messages. Like um, there's a house over on Grant Street with Green Man smack dab in the middle and then in the kitchen of the molly brown house museum and the bathroom upstairs there's green man and all of the crown molding and so it's just a gorgeous house if anything go for it to see that because it's beautiful and um from the oak staircase to everything Oh, I, I've I've actually never been, which is very strange. Ah, you gotta go. <laughs> I, I I've driven past it. I don't know how many times, and it is from like outside, gorgeous, and it's that classic like. I don't want to say gothic, but like the Victorian. It has Queen Anne tendencies. Yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> and Margaret throne flare on it, like the lions. Where she added and, um, the urns, and she liked Alexander the Great. So that was kind of the Victorian time period, though, was you added your own flair to your house. You didn't mm-hmm. have Facebook. You had to show off other ways where you tried. <laughs> <laughs> no, because she, I mean, she is known to be basically a badass. She, She's known as the unsinkable Molly Brown. I mean, other than the Titanic. But she was always portrayed. A go-getter, I think. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. So, um, what was she like later? She, she didn't end up dying in the house, did she? She no. Did not. Okay. Um, two people did, but not her. So, oh. Uh, she passed in 1932 in New York of a brain aneurysm, what we believe to be in her sleep, and mm-hmm. um, so she was an actress at that time, and she was 65 years old. What? She was a stage actress, yeah, because she'd, you know, won the French Legion of Honor, she'd driven a ambulance in World War One. she just wanted to follow her dream and be on stage, and she was, so she actually ended up passing in New York, which is funny, because her husband, JJ, also passed away in New York, because oh. he was visiting his daughter, he died 10 years prior, Okay. because she passed in 1932. Oh, how funny. So now now I obviously have to ask, who died in the house? Um, like she wanted to do, she was able to bring her parents to come and live with her. So John and Johanna Tobin um, lived in the home with her, and they both did pass there. Oh, okay. And I think they said and researched that um, they found Johanna in one of her favorite places on the front porch in a rocking chair asleep. She Aww. went very peacefully. She was, Johanna is is a firecracker and was a firecracker. Oh, so she's yeah. one of the spirits then. Yes, and she would um, be bedridden for most of the week, but then she would miraculously make this recovery every Sunday and walk to church, <laughs> the Church of the Immaculate Conception. It was just down the street. Wait, what? <laughs> So she was very strict Irish Catholic and kind yeah. of a kidder, but she kind of liked um, having folks wait on her, I think, because she had so many kids and she'd been uh... through a lot that she was kind of, you know, in bed most of the week 
and then uh, Sunday would roll around and she'd walk down the big staircase and walk to church and come back. Oh, how funny. <laughs> I mean, it, how, she, how old, do you know how old she was when she passed? Goodness, I did know at one point. Um, <laughs> I feel like 2020 has given me fog brain. Oh, yeah, but totally. Forever, but, um, she was older for back then. Yeah. So I want to say her 80s. Wow. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, back and, then, that's ancient. Yeah. Ancient, ancient, ancient. <laughs> and so she was definitely and is very rowdy. <laughs> How funny. So what, what does she do around the house? Um, you kind of just feel her. I always like to have crazy colored hair, mm-hmm. like um, bright trail of crown red or something like nice. that. And you would, um, I kind of told you before we were recording that I'm what you call a crappy medium <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I can hear perfectly clear as a bell but most of the time it's like static and I remember I was going to turn off um because I used to open and close the house a lot and so I was going in and opening the house and I just remember in this thick Irish brogue hearing what did you do to your hair you look like a clown <laughs> so, um, oh my god <laughs> And she was always, um, she was so proud of that house. And she loved that house. She loved that her daughter worked hard to get it. And so she's kind of what I refer to as the guardian of the home. And she's there to make sure that it's taken care of and kind of to look after it. And you can just feel her second hallway towards the end. You just know she's there. Um, And that's kind of her realm. And when I'd give a tour, if someone were talking bad about the house or I had someone say like well I didn't get their money's worth what? and this person looked behind them really quick and jumped and I said oh are you okay is is everything all right he said yeah I just thought I felt and then he stopped and we continued the tour so I don't think she liked what she heard <laughs> oh man I want to know what happened <laughs> me too oh we talk about it. That's, hmm. Yeah, she made her presence known. So she definitely sounds like she's intelligent and. She's very much an intelligent haunting. And, but she, um, she reminds me so much of my own, like, Irish Catholic grandmother. <laughs> very stern, strict, and proper. Like, she wants you to be a lady around there. That's and, um, amazing. So she was definitely the guardian of the home, I'd say. And she keeps it. I, I feel very comforted knowing she's there. Like, I didn't ever have to worry much. Aww. Uh, what kind of other activity is she known for, you think? Um, I just think she's more of a feeling that okay. people get. Um, I would catch stuff, like a lot of us, out of the corner of my eye. But she really hung in the room that we think she stayed in. But it's hard to know after all of the different faces the home has had. So... Um, she was always just kind of there, keeping a watchful huh. eye, making sure people weren't touching things. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an Irish grandmother. Uh, so who is the other spirit in the house? There's actually quite a few. But um, oh. when I was really young, when I was 13, my parents took me on a tour. And I just instantly fell in love with the house and thought it was the most beautiful place I'd ever been in. and I asked my mom as we were leaving, do you think they'd ever let a kid work here? And she said, 
let's go into the um, carriage house and find out. And they said, oh, yeah, we have pages who can volunteer. And I signed up to be a volunteer that day. So it really helped me have a sense of self in those awkward middle school and high school years. Uh Because, you know, I was an awkward kid, but I was a freaking tour guide. That was pretty cool. (laughs) And so um, I just knew around the kitchen area that there was a girl named Abby. Not sure how or why. I hadn't honed in on my gift yet. And so I just nicknamed this very happy, sweet presence, Abby. And she was always around the butler's pantry. And so um, we used to really pack in the people on the tours, pre-COVID, but also pre, uh, we started lessening the number, which is good because it's a much more, I think, a better experience. Oh, yeah. Crammed in like 30. But with that, um, when you're a 13-year-old girl trying to handle, you know, 25 adults, Uh, it's a little tricky and you would have people question you on what you just said uh because you're a kid and you don't know anything. And so there was one lady who kept touching everything and I just, please don't do that, please stop. And that door would, knob would turn and then the butler pantry would fly open and always hit whoever had been giving me a hard time and oh my god you can't see it but my jaw is on the ground that is so cool it was always like she had my back which was really neat and then I remember when I went back as an actual employee not a volunteer in 2016 I was doing like maybe my fourth week there and I thought to myself I wonder if Abby's still here and then I got a tour with one individual which is always weird on its own self Hmm. This guy was pretty in my personal bubble. He was very close the whole time. I was slightly uncomfortable. And during the end of the tour, he goes, I hope I didn't make you uncomfortable. And I was like, actually, you kind of did. Good for you. I'm a medium. And there are two spirits that follow you around the house. And one is named Abby. And one is named Jim. And um, that's when my jaw dropped. And And I said, can you tell me about them? And he said, well, Abby was a younger girl when she passed and you were young when you started here. So she sees you as a friend. And then I think Jim is JJ um, Brown. Who's very, he's very much there. (laughs) I literally have goosebumps. It was nice to have, I don't know for him to, sorry, if you hear my parents' dog, (laughs) Ruthie's very excited in the basement. That's okay. (laughs) Um, So like, it was nice to have someone confirm that that I got. And, you know, the Molly Brown house was only in the Brown family until they started renting it out in 1910. Margaret owned it until 1932. But um, the Cosgrove family lived there. At one point, it was a school for secretaries. It was a home for wayward girls. It was apartment buildings. So you had all of these lives touched by this singular building. And so... I'm not sure who Abby is. I don't believe she's connected to the Browns at all, but you can feel her there, and she's always very sweet. And I would like say good morning or good evening. And... Oh, that's gonna be my next question. If you had any like idea <laughs> or research or anything behind her yet, um, I want to say maybe she was one of the Wayward Girls because it was part of the juvenile court system. Oh. Um, and it was not a halfway house for girls, but it was you know kind of a juvenile detention home, which is interesting because Margaret <laughs> worked very passionately with 
um, juvenile delinquents. And she worked to set up one of the first juvenile courts in America with um, Judge Lindsay here in Denver. The first one was in Chicago, but Denver was second because prior to that time, children were tried as adults. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a very beautiful connection to Margaret is that her home was later on after she passed used for, you know, juvenile girls. And I think that would make her very happy. Okay, that was going to be my next question. If it was something like she endowed down or something. Um, yeah, it was in her home. Her The home was in her name till 1932. Okay. And then her children had to have a hard talk, Larry and Helen, the Great Depression. Neither of them are living in Colorado. Like, um, Helen's in New York, Larry's out in California. So they decided to auction off a lot of the pieces of the home oh. and actually sell the house, which is... One of the biggest criticisms on the tour is we don't have a lot of original objects, which if you know house museums, we actually have a really good deal, but people yeah. always want more. I mean, it's so hard, especially, I feel like especially out here, when an old home or something, or whoever was in it passed on, the families always sold things off. Yeah. It wasn't like out east where they kept everything pristine and the next person just moved in. I feel like that always happens out here. So having a great collection of time period accurate items is a huge deal, I think. Mm-hmm. And like we do have a lot of family items, which are always cool. We give you goosebumps to look at them. <laughs> oh, cool. Like what? My favorite item is... Um, the silver punch bowl it's pressed German silver and it was a wedding gift given to Margaret and JJ by the Leadville miners and it's just oh it just makes me happy to look at it (laughs) oh that's precious Mm -hmm. okay so you said JJ's also in the house yes and um her father John you can definitely feel him and they had what I called the good boys club where (laughs) they would hang out in um the study which was where they hung out in life like the two of them after dinner you know they'd go have their brandy and their cigars and kind of classic and you can you know that's one of the many claims if anyone has looked up the molly brown house there's so many haunted claims on the internet and honestly half of them are not real yeah i have never encountered margaret once which is upsetting but she was busy so i think she But um, cigar smoke is definitely a common thing. And part of me, my logical brain says, yes, but it's all oak wood. It's soaking it in and then yeah. releasing it when it's cold. But I have definitely walked in in the morning where it's like, when it hits you like a wall. Oh, and wow. you can't see it, but you can almost, you know, see it. So um, definitely John and JJ are good friends and they hang out a lot. And it was just such a comforting feeling to be like, oh, the boys are here today, you know. And there's been some claims that JJ likes to grab ladies, and I have never, I, that, those claims make me angry because I've never experienced that. And I always huh. just felt him as a father kind of figure, and that he was protective and always there to, you know, make sure everything was good. Oh, how funny. Yeah, because I've, it's one of those, you always kind of hear like the classic haunting things. With an mm-hmm. old house like that, whether they're actually 
happening in the house. Yeah, and we used to have this old um, system, and it was an alarm system that was motion activated. <laughs> and that thing was terrifying because you would do your sweep, top to bottom, make sure no one's hiding out, and then you'd type in the code, and it would say movement on the third floor. And so you'd go up there, no one's there, come down, type in the code, movement in the kitchen. Oh. And it would be so spooky, especially like here in Colorado after um, daylight savings when it gets dark around four o'clock. Yeah, I'm like 3.30. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, the house kind of takes on, I don't think there's anyone bad there. I've never felt that. But it takes on its own life at night. Like, you know, you've overstayed your welcome about six o'clock, 6.30. You start to feel like, I need to wrap this up and get out of here. Oh, my God. Huh. So, uh, have you had a scary experience at the house, then? I've had interesting head scratchers, definitely. Um, at my events that I used to do, we had um, steampunk ghost hunt that I threw nice. in, which was fun, where we would um, use Victorian methods and actually do a ghost <gasps> hunt. So we had, like, raise the table and Ouija boards. <gasps> And um, I had dousing rods for people to use in pendulums. And the responses on the Ouija boards were really surprising, but also kind of made me mad. I don't know who they contacted. Like I said, so many different lives have gone in and out of that house. But it was someone who did not like Welsh people, which kind of made me mad because I have a very strong Welsh heritage as well as Irish. But... This one guy kept going, I keep getting taffy, T-A-F-F-Y, which is an English derogatory term for a Welshman. Huh. And he kept doing the Ouija board. He goes, well, what's taffy? And I said, are you Welsh by chance? And he said, yes, very Welsh. And it just kept spelling taffy. And I thought that was funny and weird. And it would pick up on different names that were spelled out on the Ouija board were like employees or volunteers. So it was like the house was very aware of who was there a lot of the time. And at night with those events, it just gets creepy. You turn off the lights and, you know, just sitting there, it feels different. But I haven't had like a scarier socks off moment. I've had really cool moments with doors opening that you see and you go, oh my gosh. But the neighborhood actually has most of the fun stories. I think my favorite is um, a message that was left on a coworker's phone. And it was calling, it was a neighbor that lived in the apartment building next door. And okay. Said, hey, I'm going to DIA. It's about 3.30 a.m. I'm walking across the street and I want you to know there's an old woman on the second floor waving at me with glasses. And he seemed really freaked out on the phone. And the scariest part of that story for me is the fact that there were shades that we used to have before they got the protective UV windows. Oh, okay. That would cover the sun to make sure it didn't damage the artifacts. Yeah. And those shades weren't able to be lifted up. They were just permanently down. But he swears he saw an old woman just waving at him with glasses and gray hair, and it's definitely probably Johanna. Oh, wow. I, I don't think I realized how active the house is. It, would you say it's like one of those every time you go in, there's an experience or? 
No, I wish it were that active. Um, <laughs> the experiences were incredibly special. It's definitely one of those places where you go in and it's alive. Where you go in a haunted location and it has that feeling with the pressure, you know, that pressure that kind of pushes on the side yeah. of the head. So you feel it. And that working there for four years and longer became so normal to me that when I stopped working there, it was like, and I'd go into a building with that same feeling. I'd go, oh, oh, this is haunted. That's what this is. Okay. So um, it was always very much awake. And it just has a very loving and good feeling and feisty. There's a feisty aspect of it probably huh. because of both Johanna and Margaret, who are both incredibly feisty. How funny. Um, uh, I wanted to ask if there is any other uh rumors about the house there's so many rumors like um anything you want to dispel because there's there's so many about it like i went to go do some more research to do this and i'm like nah i'm just gonna let her i'm just gonna ask and let her go so angry about them that i kind of just put them out of my head oh no there's always the one that like margaret or molly they'll call her molly they say molly brown runs around the house Nope, fake. <laughs> um, there's something I can't remember. Do you remember any of the ones that you looked up that were like, huh, head scratchers? Because I remember when I sit and listen to ghost tours, other ones where I'm like, oh, hell, <laughs> you know, you just sit there and go, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I, I definitely remember the, the grabbing. Yeah, that's, I guess, the biggest one I wanted to spell is like, I have never had anyone say they were grabbed by him on a tour or mention anything. And from what I can feel is JJ is just a dad, like a really sweet, proud man. Hmm. So I don't know where that one came from, but I really don't like that. And um, there's just bad rumors of him in life, too, that some tour guides will pop back in where I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, no. Like he was, he had a wandering eye or he would go to the brothel down at the, you know, across from the Brown Palace. And that's definitely not true. And it would just kind of boil my blood in a way. Because after a while, these entities, I just called them my friends, you know. Yeah. And you become very protective of them. Um. No, now I'm not, now I'm like, I'm like, crap. What do what do I remember? Um, I know, I and I should know them all too. Cause I used to just get so angry, and people would come into the gift shop all the time and say, "Is this true?" And I'd say, "Nope, nope." <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the only thing I'm really uh, on this website was like cold spots, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that kind of happens, but I'd say it's more um, smell spots. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so, uh, you started running steampunk ghost tours. Well, it was a steampunk ghost hunt, which was a, a, an event for the time. So I would do kind of the spookier events. Um, we had, is Mrs. Brown still here? We had, um, the origins of Salin or Halloween, which mm-hmm. was my favorite because she was so proud of her Irish heritage that I wanted to be like, well, let's talk about where Halloween came from. Oh, and what it is. oh my heart. <laughs> okay yes yes and um they're one of their biggest um fundraisers that's been since the museum opened is victorian horrors which 
I know this year they did a little bit differently with COVID, but if you have a chance, go. And during normal times, <laughs> they would bring back Gothic authors from the dead, like Edgar Allan Poe, Mary Shelley. And you walk through the house, they have the lights down low, and they read Victorian excerpts from the uh... book. And so then you're there after that, you know, time where the house switches to <laughs> and uh... get out of here. So that's kind of, there's always, different stories that emerged from volunteers who worked that event or actors oh know? really like there was i think the last 2019 one of the volunteers was making sure that all of the guests had left the floor and she looks and there's a gentleman sitting in a chair and then she looked at the actor and looked back and it was gone <gasps> and then the actor said i saw him too oh Mm-hmm. confirmation so, double yeah. double witnesses <laughs> wow that that's unheard of and definitely get tickets for that um i'm sure it's running this year too it'll just look a little different but that's always a good one because <laughs> that's one i've tried to do that one twice mm-hmm. but it's oh, always i find out about it like a it week sells out so quick so quick mm-hmm. no that like like i said i've been i've tried but I always find out, like, a week beforehand, and by that point, everything's sold out already. Mm-hmm. Which is really, really disappointing. I'll give you and your listeners an inside tour. The tickets usually go up around um, August or September. Oh! Uh, then you can jump on it. <laughs> oh! I might, I might have to be looking at that. Because that, that could be... I've always wanted to do it. I always thought that would be fun. Yeah. That's usually like my busy season, so I'm. Uh, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not usually on it as much as I should be. Mm-hmm. But okay, I guess September. I'm gonna. I have a feeling we'll be like still like. Oh, yeah. Hanging out, best buddies by then more. So <laughs> we can definitely um, talk about that more. Um, is there? Anything else about the Molly Brown House you would like us to know? I know. Are are they open? Are they trying to open? They are open. They're doing just very limited small tours. But um, definitely go because now I think is more of an opportunity to perhaps have an, you know, maybe see something strange. Even though it's very selective when it happens. <laughs> it's very cool. Because now it's much smaller groups. And um, you have more flexibility to wander a little bit with staged volunteers. So I would say definitely go and just have an open mind and please know her name is Margaret and focus <laughs> on her story because the more love you have for her and what she did and her family, I think the more open you are to actually experiencing something. You know, oh. if you go in just for, I want to see a ghost. That's great, but they're not going to reach out as much as if you go, wow, she really did a lot. And they're going to be like, oh, they appreciate the woman who lived here. <laughs> I love that. I so I just love it. I just love it. Uh, thank you, Bella, so much. So, so much. I have a feeling you're going to be a frequent guest. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thank you so much again. And I will get all of the Molly Brown House info to... Um, Get out there for everyone and any of your links, especially to that podcast, girl.
soon as I have it all organized, yes, I will. <laughs> I will totally poke you and help you with that by encouraging. I'm not very helpful as you watched me set this up this morning or oh, afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so, so much, dear. Well, thank you. A big thank you to everyone out there today listening. And of course, a huge thank you to my guest, Bella Brujita, for braving the cold to talk to me today. I'll be posting all the links to the Molly Brown House on social media. And when Bella's podcast comes out, The Haunted Insider, I'll definitely be sharing that as well. If you like the podcast, please rate and review me on your favorite podcast apps. It goes a long way to helping other people find me. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please subscribe to my Patreon page. I just posted all the FLIR thermal camera videos on there in the rawest of forms, and those are actually free to watch. Just make sure if you see anything to let me know, preferably also with a timestamp. And that's it for this show. I'll see you all next week on My Haunted Life Podcast. Bye!